So at the church on uh, Sunday evenings, we're reading through John's Gospel together. And over recent weeks, we have discovered that it can be referred to as a book of signs. John records seven great miracles that Jesus performed. And each one acts like a signpost, pointing us towards some very important truths. The seven signs show us who Jesus is and what he will achieve. The first sign came a few weeks back. It was the turning of water into wine at the wedding in Cana. An incredible miracle that made the bridal party very happy. But that was not the point. In that miracle, Jesus took the water reserved for the Jewish cleansing rituals and turned that into the finest of wine. It was a sign that he'd come to bring a new form of purification, one much better than the old. Jesus would cleanse the people through the shedding of his blood. The second sign came last week. From a great distance and without even meeting him, Jesus healed the son of a royal official. Again, an incredible miracle that brought delight to the boy's family, but that was not the point. It was a sign that demonstrated Jesus' authority over all that damages life and his ability to reverse it. One day he will heal all people completely. This week we come to sign number three. And I hope by now we have an idea of what we should be looking for. As we hear this reading, we need to ask ourselves the question, what does this miracle tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about what one day he will achieve? Let me tell you in advance that this sign is so important, Jesus fully explains it to us. He tells us exactly what it is that it's pointing towards. So unusually this week, I'm not going to use any illustrations to introduce this story to us. Because the healing of the layman is the illustration for the teaching that Jesus gives. I want us to get straight into the text tonight. There's a lot for us to chew over in this passage. But by the end of it, Jesus' message will have been so powerful, none of us will be left in any doubt as to how this passage applies to our lives today. So this is the third sign of John's Gospel. What is that sign? It is the miraculous healing of a lame man. The chapter begins by telling us where the miracle took place. It occurred at the pool of Bethesda, a well-known place for healing at the time. The pool was located in Jerusalem itself, just to the north of the Temple Mount. Indeed, the location has been excavated by archaeologists. You can go there and see it for yourself today. Now, this pool had a lot of tradition and superstition attached to it. In fact, it was not just a Jewish healing place. Pagans used it as well. Occasionally, the pool would bubble up, disturbing the surface. Legend had it that it was an angel that caused this stirring of the waters. And the superstition was that the first person into the pool after the bubbles came to the surface would be healed. Consequently, people waited by the side of the waters day and night, hoping for a miracle. 
But sadly, the shrine does not seem to have been working very well. Well, not for this poor lame man, at least. This man has been beside the pool for 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine that? 38 years of pain and disappointment. By the time he met Jesus, he must have been utterly resigned to his condition. He must have all but given up hope on life. Maybe he only remained there now because he knew he could eke out a meagre existence by begging from others who came to the pool. But let's stop and think about this for a moment. How can this poor man have been there for 38 years and never once managed to get into the pool first? Did he not want to get well? Well, when Jesus asked him that question in verse 6, he gave a very clear reply. The reason he'd been there 38 years was because he'd always been too slow. Someone had always got in ahead of him. And this points us to the seriousness of his condition. It's not just that this man had a slight limp. Oh no. It was as if his legs were dead underneath him. They could not physically carry him. And as we shall see, that detail is very important. Notice also that when Jesus asked the man, did he want to get well? He answers by immediately referring to the superstitions of the poor. He never once asked Jesus for healing. That is because as yet, he has no idea who Jesus is. He is very much about to find out. Now remember, I said a few seconds ago, it was as if this man's legs were dead. We're now going to see the importance of that. Jesus had compassion for this poor man. He also clearly wanted to demonstrate that true healing comes from God, not a superstitious Paul. So in this moment, he decides to work a miracle. Get up, pick up your mats and walk, he says. And verse 9 tells us that that is exactly what happened. On hearing Jesus' words, the man is instantly healed and he picks up his mat and he walks. Now the words Jesus uses here are very important. And we're not helped very much by our English translations. Because what Jesus actually says here is rise. Rise, take your mat and walk. Rise, agari. It's actually very similar to the Gallic. Agari means waking up in the morning. But in biblical terms, this is the exact word used for raising the dead. Agari is the key word used in the Bible for resurrection. So what we see here then in this moment is this man's dead legs come back to life. And here then is the major clue as to what this sign is pointing towards and we will definitely come back to it. But for now, let's just press on with the account of how the miracle happened. On being healed, the man is naturally delighted. He picks up his mat and he rushes off. Notice there are no words of thank you here. 
Perhaps John didn't bother to record them. Perhaps the man was so excited he forgot to stop and express his gratitude. Perhaps Jesus slipped away into the crowd so quickly he never got the chance. Who knows? But the pair are set to meet again. As Jesus enters the temple to celebrate the festival he was attending, he sees the man once more and he says something very telling to him. He begins, see, you're well again. It's as if Jesus is encouraging the man to acknowledge that the healing has really happened. It's permanent. The man was probably in the temple himself at this point because he'd gone to the priest to get the miracle verified. But in this moment, Jesus is giving him the opportunity to acknowledge where this healing came from. He's encouraging the man to believe deeply in him. See, you are well again. But then Jesus says something else. Something very blunt. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Wow, that is hard and abrupt, isn't it? That line really forces us to start thinking. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I think there are two questions raised here. First, was it really the man's sin that had led to his paralysis? And second, what could possibly be worse than being lame for 38 years? What could be worse than 38 years of frustration and disappointment being condemned to beg every day? Let's take those two questions one at a time. First, the question of sin. Was it sin that led to this man's condition? Well, possibly. It certainly seems the most natural interpretation of what Jesus says. And it's undeniable that some sins do lead to illness and frailty. Sin does have very real consequences in our lives. For example, if you continue to recklessly abuse drugs and alcohol, you will receive organ failure as a result. But we must also be very careful here. Because there are other passages of scripture where Jesus very clearly says that it is not at all to do with a person's sin that they are suffering. It is not their personal fault that they are blind or unwell. Rather their difficulties are just a sign of the fallen world which we all live within. We must be very careful about suggesting any illness is the direct result of sin. So when Jesus speaks of sin here, was he instead speaking of the man's superstitious beliefs? Perhaps his sin had been spending the last 38 years of his life putting all his trust in a mythical angel stirring up some waters when he could have been in a nearby temple asking the one true God for help. Perhaps this man's sin was not recognising Jesus for who he was and for not asking for help when he had the chance. Perhaps this man's sin was that when he healed, he ran away and didn't say thank you. I find those ideas very persuasive. 
But maybe what Jesus says to the man here is much more general than that. For the teaching of the whole Bible is the same. Sin leads to death. And Jesus wanted this man to see that his previously dead legs were a telling sign of that. Now, if that was the case, then the second half of the sentence immediately makes sense. Jesus said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, if you don't stop sinning, it won't just be your legs that are dead. It will be all of you. Your heart, your mind, your soul. Sin leads to death. If we remain within it, we are heading for total death, a lost eternity. And we need to hold on to that frightening thought because it's going to become very important in a few moments. So let's recap. Here's the miracle so far. Jesus has enabled a man who's been lame for the last 38 years to walk. He has called him to rise up. And he's brought life back to his dead legs. This man is then called to put his full trust in Jesus rather than his previous superstitions and traditions. He is called to go and sin no more. And clearly the man grasps something of all this because the next thing we read of him in verse 15 is that he's excitedly telling the Jewish leaders about Jesus and how he had made him well. Let's now move on a bit. It's very telling that when this man is seen by the Jewish leaders, they are not excited for him at all. In fact, they utterly refuse to join in his celebrations. Truth be told, they care not a jot that his life has been transformed. What the Jewish leaders care about is that this man is now walking through Jerusalem carrying his mat. Carrying his mat. In their eyes... Counted as work. And this was the Sabbath. Working on the Sabbath was breaking their law and in their eyes was a very serious offence. Now it tells you quite a lot about a group of people who can be told that a paralysed man who has suffered for nearly four decades and has been miraculously healed and yet all they care about is that in the process of that healing he's become a lawbreaker. It shows you in stark detail how deluded they have become and how far from God's heart these Jewish leaders are. But of course, when the man then tells these leaders that he's carrying his mat because the man who healed him told him to carry his mat, their anger immediately passes to Jesus. Who on earth was he to instruct someone to break the Sabbath. Now let's pause here and be really honest for a moment. Jesus has been very provocative here, hasn't he? I mean, come on, this man has been paralyzed for 38 years. One more day is not going to make any difference. We should be in no doubt Jesus must have done this deliberately. And he must have known the reaction that was coming. And that realisation leads us to ask another question. Why? 
Why was Jesus so deliberately provocative? Why would he cause such a scene at an important Jewish festival? Well, there can only be one reason. Surely it was to create an opportunity for teaching, an opportunity for him to reveal to many more people who he really was and what he'd come to do. And now finally, in the conversation that follows, we will have it explained to us what this third sign, the healing of the lame man, is really all about. So let's now ask that most vital of questions that we always need to ask when we read a passage of the gospel. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus that he has the right to come and give orders to someone to knowingly break the Sabbath? Well, the incredible answer is that he is God. When Jesus is first questioned as to why he heals on the Sabbath, this is the answer he gives in verse 17. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Think about it. Yes, God famously rested on the seventh day of creation in Genesis. That's where the Sabbath principle comes from. But even the strictest of Jewish rabbis agreed that God still did some work in some form. And that's because the Bible teaches us that God is the one who moment by moment is holding the universe together. It is God who causes the sun to rise every Sabbath morning and sustains life throughout the day. It is God who breathes life into every baby that is born on the Sabbath. It is God who receives every person who dies on the Sabbath. God does work on the Sabbath. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And immediately, the Jewish leaders pick up on what he is saying. And it is dynamite. Jesus is claiming to be divine. He is claiming equality with God. And to them, this is blasphemy in the extreme and within seconds, verse 18 tells us they are plotting to kill him. But Jesus doesn't care. He goes on making his claim even more explicit. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Just listen to what Jesus is saying about himself here. He is sent by God. He is on mission for God, doing the works of God. He is being obedient to God. He's bringing glory to God. He is God's chosen representative, and therefore he has the right and ability to do what God does. And now it's clear. In healing the lame man, a great sign has been given that he is the only son of God. And for that, he is worthy of our service and our praise. But still, there is more to come. In that last verse that I read out, Jesus said that the people would see him do even greater things than a lame man being healed. 
And in the next few verses, verses 21 to 30, he goes on to state two things that as the Son of God, he has the authority to do. Two divine privileges, if you like. And these are what this sign of healing the lame man has been designed to point towards. Now, there's a lot in these verses, so I'm going to keep this really simple. First, Jesus says, as the Son of God, he has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to raise the dead and grant them eternal life. Just as he brought the lame man's dead legs back to life, he would do the same for all people. To the paralyzed man in verse 8, he said, rise, take your mat and walk. In verse 21, he uses exactly the same word to promise that he will raise all people back to life. And this power to raise the dead is so great that if we put our trust in Jesus, that power enters into our lives and grants us eternal life today as christians here tonight we already have eternal life we are already living it we don't just get it on the day we die the resurrection power of god is at work within our lives right now verse 24 very truly i tell you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life they already have it and they will not be judged but will cross over from death to life So this is the first thing that Jesus, as the Son of God, will do. He will raise the dead. The second is linked. As God's Son, Jesus has the power and the authority to judge all people. Now that is an incredible claim because only God has the right to judge Only God has the right to decide someone's eternal future. And Jesus says that right has been conferred to him. Passed on from the Father to the Son. Listen again, verses 25 to 29. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. This is the truth of the gospel. On the day Jesus returns, we will all come before his judgment seat. And those who have believed in him will enter the eternal kingdom. And those who have rejected him and remained within their evil and sin will be condemned. They will face the terrible judgment of a lost eternity. This is not because God is mean, it's because he is just. This is how he will act to clear up his beloved creation and save it from all that has damaged it. And besides, God doesn't want people in his kingdom who don't want to be there. That will ruin it for everyone. 
there must be a final judgment for God to be considered holy or good. And now, finally, we can see why Jesus said what he said to the man in the temple. He said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, your healing today is a great sign showing that one day you will be raised to life. And if you have not turned to the Lord by then, it won't just be your legs that are dead, but your soul. And it won't just be 38 years of pain and frustration, but forever. And now at last we see clearly what the third sign of John's gospel is pointing <coughs> towards. Now it goes without saying, these are huge claims for Jesus to make. He's deliberately healed on the Sabbath to raise a debate as to who he is. And then he's gone on to say he is fully God with the power to raise the dead and judge all people. We can imagine the Jewish leaders picking up the rocks as these words come tumbling out of his mouth. So Jesus finishes the conversation in verses 31 to 47 by giving the evidence that proves what he has said is true. And he quotes three sources. John the Baptist, the miracles he's done in his father's power, and the Jewish scriptures. The Jewish leaders held that John the Baptist was a prophet, a prophet from God. They'd enjoyed listening to his teaching. But John the Baptist said that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one who would save all people. Would the Jewish leaders listen to their favourite prophet? Jesus has been causing a stir for some time now. He's been healing in public. He's been driving out demons. He's taught with authority. He's done things that no other human being could do. And many people have seen it. And Jesus says, this is the power of my father dwelling in me. Surely you can see that. And finally, he draws their attention to the scriptures. Nothing he did should have come as a surprise. All his actions fulfilled what was in the Old Testament. The prophets had foretold him. Even the Jewish leader's hero, Moses, the great giver of the law, had written about him. These leaders had spent their whole lives studying the scriptures. If they couldn't see this, they were being deliberately blind. Actively choosing not to give Jesus the honour he deserved in order to protect their own interests. In verse 42, Jesus is scathing. The Jewish leaders are deliberately ignoring the evidence right in front of their eyes. Jesus could see there was no love of God in their hearts, only pride. And one day, they would be judged and condemned for it. Whereas those who threw themselves on Jesus' mercy would be brought truly to life. now time to wrap this all up. At the end of a week where the Isla community has held six funerals in seven days, the importance of this third sign in the gospel really could not be any clearer. We are all going to die someday. We are all going to face the judgment of Christ. 
Do we want to escape the condemnation we deserve? Do we want to be healed? Then there is only one thing we can do. We cannot trust in superstition or pagan traditions or angels. We must place our full trust in Jesus, the only Son of God. For he alone has the power to raise the dead and grant eternal life.